0: The year is 2011. I'm in Chicago at the Swiss Hotel doing a corporate gig with Yann Bertrand, the guy I spoke to on the uh, last uh, podcast episode. And one of the guys on the crew says, uh, Hey, uh, Rush is in town, and uh, I got tickets, because this guy used to work uh, with the tour, I guess. I, I don't remember exactly what he did, but anyway, he got us some tickets. And I wasn't a big Rush fan, but a couple beers later I figured yeah well why don't why don't we go see the show so a couple of hours later I'm 10th row center watching this amazing show I mean okay so I wasn't a big rush fan but I I do recognize the quality of what they do but I'm more of a rockabilly blues uh, uh boogie woogie kind of guy <laughs> but this show was really amazing I mean it it just blew me and uh Well, here I am today on the uh, Backstage Cowboys podcast, and who am I talking to? Howard Ungerleiter, who happens to be the light guy for Rush and has been for over 40 years. Ladies and gentlemen, Howard Ungerleiter. Hi Howard, how are you doing, man?
1: It's a good club. Nice to be uh, chatting with you today.
0: Well, me too. I, I wish I, I wish we were one in front of the other. You're in Toronto. I'm in Montreal. But I guess uh, this'll have to do over the phone, right?
1: Yeah, I wish I was in Montreal right now. It's much better than here.
0: <laughs> I'm not sure about that. It's it's rainy. It's cold. It's uh, oh,
1: well, then maybe not then.
0: Yeah,
1: <laughs> I just love the city. So it's uh, oh,
0: well, you come by any time you want, man. I'll buy you a beer. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I was there last year on Saint Jean Baptiste Day. Really? Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, that's beer drinking day. I went
1: and joined the festivities. It was very, very. It was very nice. I brought my wife. We had a good time. It was all good.
0: Nice, nice. Well, let me know next time you're in town. Yeah, I will. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, tell me about you, man. Uh, I don't know where to start. I mean, you've been in the business for so long. Uh, how, how, how? First of all, what do you... I mean,
1: I, I've been in the business a few months, and um, <laughs> I picked up a few things over, over that short time. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I started as a musician. Um,
0: like many of in, us. Uh, and...
1: In the 70s. Mm-hmm. And, um, so, you know, I was sort of... Uh, looking for a recording contract for the band that I was with. Mm-hmm. And I was naive because I was, you know, I was in my teens and uh really didn't know much about anything other than playing music. And I w- I wandered into New York City because I- I'm from New York originally. Oh really? Yeah, I grew I was born in Manhattan, grew oh. up a little bit in in the Bronx, and then my parents sort of uh rescued us to New Jersey, okay. where I spent the rest of my uh youth for a short period of time um in in, uh, in north jersey okay and then uh went out to look for a recording contract for my group and uh didn't really pan out very well and there was uh, an agent sort of slash management agent named sean laroche who i knew from you know booking concerts and uh at my school mm-hmm. so i sought out his office and said i wanted to go and sit down and see if he would remember who i was which never happens that way <laughs> yeah and i was getting i was endlessly getting blown off by his secretary
2: okay wouldn't yeah.
1: let me you know no, Mr. LaRoche is busy. He can't see you. What, you know, does he know who you are? What business do you want with him?
0: The, u- the usual.
1: Yeah, The usual, all the things mm. they don't want to hear. Yeah. So I was going back day after day and endlessly getting blown off. So I actually figured out the pattern that when his secretary went to lunch and there was no one in reception, And then I would just go behind the front desk, get back into the office and see if I could track him down, which I did. Okay. And I just walked into his office one day and he was like sort of freaked out, but he said, okay, who are you and what do you want? (laughs) So I told him and then he just laughed and he went, you know something? I like you because you have, you have balls. You came (laughs) in my office. I don't really know who you are. I said, we've met before. I said, we book shows together. And he's like, "Well, listen, you're pretty naive, and uh that's you're not going to get anything for your band because only one out of ten thousand bands becomes successful. Hmm. I can guarantee it's not going to be you wow, so okay, yeah, at that point hmm. in time, I was very discouraged, but uh he said, you know, what I would suggest, I suggest you learn this business so you don't make a fool of yourself by coming into people's office with making strange you know, requests mm-hmm. like this. It just shows your incompetence what, you know, and your lack of knowledge in this business. You need to learn about it. So here's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to throw you out of my office, but I'm <laughs> going to give you some names of other people who you can bother. And maybe if you're lucky, you'll get a job delivering coffees. So I said, wow. really? He goes, you've got to start there. you got to be, you know, a coffee tea boy. And then you have to work in the mail room and send mail out to people and understand what you're doing and how the business functions. So here's a bunch of names. And he gave me a list of people to go and knock on doors. And I spent about two weeks knocking on doors. And I came across Just, just
0: before that, how did you feel walking out of that office with all that information?
1: Deflated <laughs> and total. Uh, I was pissed off, man. I, I, I was yeah. not a happy, I was not a happy camper. But I had this electricity inside of me that, I had this fuel, this uh, this desire that I'm not going to fail,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and I should take this guy's advice. And I do want to learn about the industry and any job that I can get, no matter what it is. I'll take it, even if it's a janitor position, right?
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, and, at least and, at least
0: you understood something, and and the guy
2: took the no, time I to I tell did. you this.
1: I, you know? I understood that and you're mm-hmm. never going to make it unless you know. You know, you're really, really amazingly talented, and he didn't even know, because he never heard anything, and he didn't want to hear anything. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, you know, it just it, it just makes you feel a bit like a failure when you go in, but he's, he said to turn it on. You know, when you do this, you'll turn your whole life around. Mm-hmm. He was right, because I went knocking on doors, and I stumbled across uh, this company that was called uh, American Talent International. And they were located, uh, on 888 7th Avenue, which was right across from Carnegie Hall on 57th and, uh, and, uh, I guess it was 57th and 7th. And
0: what, what year was
1: this? 1971. Wow. That was a while ago. It was before everybody Mm. was born. (laughs) I was very, I was lonely. I was not many people out there, but anyway, (laughs) so, uh, There was a guy named Jeff Franklin who owned that company with two partners, Saul Safian and Ira Blacker. And uh, I went in there and uh, Jeff just had uh, had another company that he just moved. It was called Action Talent where he had two acts and he was moving to this this building uh, on the 21st floor right across from Carnegie Hall, where he was setting up a new agency. Hmm. And it was a talent agency, so he had about three agents at the time. And uh, he said, you could have a position as coffee boy. Wow. It pays $75 a week, and I'll tell you right now, he said, you show up at 9 a.m., and if you're late by one minute, you're gone. Wow, And I expect you to be here every day at that time. Hmm. And that's how, it, that's how it started. So I started delivering coffees to all the agents and running errands and running, you know, contracts out to people. And during the course of this time, I was meeting famous band managers and famous bands. Like I'd have to go over and deliver, um, you know, uh, demos from the studio to uh, Billy Gaff, who was Rod Stewart's manager at the time. Hmm. And a lot of the times the artist would be there and I would just, you know, I was never really starstruck. Although I do, I did like, you know, Pink Floyd and the Who when I was younger mm-hmm. and they were, they were insp- inspirations to me and in my, uh, you know, in my guitar player being the musician that I was. And, um, so I just worked my way through that, and over time, within 10 months, I went from the uh, the office delivery guy to a mailroom guy to um, a sort of junior agent. Mm-hmm. And then after that, I was being taught by the senior agents of how to be an agent, and I was given a territory and then I would fly around with bands. And wow. over the course of the traveling with all these bands... They would always ask you a question after the show, and it was the same question for most of the bands. And They wanted to know, hey, how did you like the show?
2: Because uh-huh.
1: they want input, right? Yeah. But I used to say to them, you know, like, I was honest. I said, you know, you guys played an amazing set, but you know, there's not much of a show. Now in high school when I was growing up, I you know there was nobody that really wanted to do any of you the know, lighting or production. I don't think they got a, a handle on it, and I used to do all that aside from being, you know, a musician. I I loved playing around with lighting. And patching fixtures and making things look avant-garde.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, this is you pretty know? much how we all grew up, right? We all wanted to be yeah, musicians. We all wanted to be stars. And uh, and and sometimes I think back at that time, and and I tell myself, if I had known that I could actually earn a living doing lighting or technical stuff or whatever, I might have done it earlier. But then I think back and I figure, uh, you know what, maybe not, because that wasn't my aim at the time. I wanted to be a a musician. I wanted to be a star. So even if I had known, I probably wouldn't have went there anyway. But (laughs) (laughs) you wind up there.
1: uh, (laughs) Go ahead. so, So like over time, you know, I would tell this to the bands, and they would say, well, you know, can you help us create a show? And, you know, that really wasn't my job, but I was out there with them, and I... Thought sure, you know, I'll put some things together for you guys and you know help you out. And uh, eventually, the the owner of the agency got drift, got wind of this and didn't like it very much because uh-huh. you know I was working for him, but yet I was doing something on the side that if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be uh, able to do.
0: Yeah, well, so, it got it got you through the door, though.
1: <laughs> oh, it did. I mean, yeah. I was like traveling with bands. I uh, from 1972, 73, all the way up to uh, when he called me in his office and said, listen, we're signing this band from Canada. We want you to go work with them and go up there and teach them how to tour. Mm-hmm. He gave me a choice. He goes, either you go up there. He got two choices. I said, yeah, okay, what's the first one? He goes, go to Canada and work for this club band called Rush. I said, "What's the other one?" And he goes, "You know, you're fired." <laughs> so I said, "Okay." Nice choice. Uh, yeah, but at the time, I'll you go.
0: you 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 had you had not been to to Canada. I mean, you were living in the states from day one, right?
1: Well, I had been to Canada with a, an old band called Savoy Brown. Okay. When I was an agent, and you know, I, I went up there, and you know, I went to Toronto with them, but.
0: Okay, but you hadn't moved. You haven't moved to Canada yet. Yeah, no, I okay. hadn't moved to Canada. Okay.
1: So then, you know, I went up, I met the guys in Rush. who were fantastic. At the time I was there, there was not a drummer. They were in between drummers, so they were auditioning drummers. Okay. And there was a lot of downtime in in Toronto. So finally, they, you know, when they found Neil and they put it together, we were heading out on a major tour opening up for Uriah Heap, and that was you know, aside from them doing little club shows and little small theaters prior to that, um, this was the first major touring element, and uh, I was the tour manager for them, mm-hmm. as well as the lighting designer, director, whatever there was, there wasn't much. okay. And, you know, we hit the road, and that's how it all started for me. I mean, I had the experience working with bands like Rod Stewart. Before that, and um, Brian Auger's Oblivion Express, it was a jazz act, Mm -hmm. and he was a pretty amazing keyboard player. He's the guy who taught Keith Emerson how to play. Wow. (laughs) The B3, and then uh, I was doing half-time with Blue Oyster Cult, and uh, Mm -hmm. you know, Rod Stewart was a lot of people I was involved with over the years. And then um, Rush came in, no one knew how long they were going to be around for, but it turned out to be 42 years. 42 years, wow. Yeah, so that was sort of the history, you know. I went and I designed every one of their shows. I was tour accountant and road manager for half of their career.
0: Hmm.
1: So and, uh, so
0: if I understand correctly, um, you weren't just doing the lighting, you were also designing the sets.
1: I was, well, I was designing what there was for show. Mm-hmm. Rush weren't really big on sets back then. It was all visuals, right? Yeah. So we did, I did multimedia productions. With, you know, we did a lot of video and yeah. using background, foreground, um, created dimension and created sort of, uh, you know, an immersive environment for them at times. Just avant-garde, like things that people weren't doing.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And you know, there was there was good reason. You know, they we had a limited budget in the beginning, couldn't do a lot, but so, you know it was a good exercise because you had to make it look amazing for with yeah. not a lot of money.
0: Well, that's Canadian reality and that that's why we're so good yeah. at at building shows because we're used to working with zero budget,
2: right?
1: Yeah. yeah. And as the budgets increased, you know, so you know, it gave me the freedom to do what I really wanted to do. And one of the things that I really you know wanted to not do was when automation first came out, I didn't want to jump on the bandwagon with the automation right mm. away. Okay. I really wanted to um, experience as much of conventional lighting as I could and do as much with that before I opened up a whole new world of of automation in combination with old-school lighting, you know? Mm-hmm.
0: But why, why were you reluctant to make the move to uh,
1: automation? Be- because I wanted to push the boundaries of uh, conventional lighting. Uh-huh. I wasn't completely, you know satisfied with everything I was doing conventionally. So I wanted to experience more of, you know, different types of fixtures, different types of setups. I mean, in the early days, you know, uh, a friend of mine, Tim Pace, who's down in Washington, D.C., went to an auction and found these marine beacon lights, Mm -hmm. which were, you know, 13-volt fixtures. We had to, you know, wire them in series of eight and they were the original aircraft landing lights, what they were calling oh. marine beacon lights, and we really didn't know what <laughs> to expect until we, we sat them in a park and because they were the same size. And wow. we filled the room with, with, with atmosphere and put them on, and it was like, wow, <laughs> we've never seen these before. <laughs> yeah, And I just hated the fact that they'd all come up like eight at a time, that mm-hmm. didn't sit well. So later on, as I used C-factor, uh, lighting. They had a lot of custom, uh, you know, they they were accommodating to build custom consoles and do crazy things that I was asking for. So my whole concept for the aircraft landing light was, I want to have 10 groups of eight. I want to control each light as an individual light source. I want to be able to pick and choose any one of those lights to put together in a submaster. On a, some kind of a matrix board.
2: Mm-hmm. And then
1: I want to have chases for all of those submasters. So I sort of, you know, was putting them through these, you know, back then in those days, they were like, no one ever had that, that before. Yeah. So, uh,
2: you know, I'm, I'm, I mean, it,
1: I I was the first person, actually, to have a board that Tim Pace had built hmm. for a club in Washington that had joystick on it that would take submasters. You'd be able to rotate them on a joystick. Are,
0: are, you, kind of cool. are you saying that you're the guy who invented the ACL?
1: I didn't invent it. It existed.
0: <laughs> it existed. Just, okay.
1: I, I'm the guy that put it in a park can and put it up on the rock tour.
0: Okay. Okay. All right. Well, good enough for me, man. Uh, thank you, yeah, thank you, I mean, you know, the amazing shows that so many people did with this, now just for those who don't know what ACL or a- aircraft landing is, it's uh, yeah. more recently, it's it's a group of uh, four very narrow lights, and that look like an aircraft that's landing, that's, yeah. why, that's why we call it like that, so uh, yeah, I just wanted to explain that.
1: Yeah, I mean, like, the reason why I love them so much is because I was big on geometry, I like to create geometrical forms yeah. in the air. yeah with smoke and then i'd fill the gaps in those forms with color and mm-hmm. vibrant color i mean because i'm a big saturated color person yeah and um and i also was very proficient in calling spots so i loved love to call spots it was actually subliminal for me to do that and you know put the aircraft landing lights in as what i call a skeleton to my designs
0: what do you mean call and spots
1: then, yeah
0: what, what do you mean by call spots
1: like spotlights, you know, follow spots?
0: Oh yes, yes, okay, follow spots, yes.
1: You know, when okay. when we first started out in the industry, all you had to do is flood the stage in a wash because a lot of the theaters just had these x-ray
2: mm-hmm.
1: floods that were on these what were called piano boards remember in your high school yeah you would have this big dimmer switch that would <laughs> you would throw it up it would take you know a couple people to push it up
0: yeah, and yeah. it would,
1: would cross fade from red to blue to green mm-hmm. you know that's what that's all you had for lighting so yeah. spotlights be your next, um, when I I first... Yeah, it
0: would be the only dynamic uh, light effect that you would have.
1: Yeah, so, you know, I never used them before when I first started, when I was, you know, on my first uh, stint, I believe it was Savoy Brown, we went up into Portland, Oregon, I had one of the really nice uh, IATSE guys taught me how to call a spot. Uh Uh-huh. And that was in the early 70s, and then I just really enjoyed doing that. Yeah. And over time, I would be calling 10, 12 spots, and uh, wow, yeah, it was it was a <laughs> lot of fun. And
2: yeah. That
1: was the big thing. You could actually black out the stage and put the spots in simultaneously, and it was a quite a powerful effect.
0: Yeah, it was the the only instant uh, thing you could call and have it right away. But yeah. you, need, you need people for that, though. You need budget. you got to pay the guy behind the follow
2: spot, right? Well,
1: yeah. I mean, well, it's a show call, and you have the <laughs> yeah. union guys there, and they're already being paid, so you could use them for those. Yeah. Back then, it was only like two or three spots. Mm-hmm. It wasn't anything intense. You were in a theater, so not much you could really do. Yeah. You just did the best. So with all that knowledge and basically over those years of you know traveling with bands and, and learning more about it, when I by the time I hit Rush, I was well versed in a lot of things, mm-hmm. in in how the deals were constructed from being a junior agent there, and um, you know I had the luxury of having uh, a gentleman named Bruce Payne, who's now the manager of Deep Purple and has been for quite a while, uh, was one of the agents who who taught me a lot, mm-hmm. and um, you know learning that, knowing that, plus the lighting background and being a musician. It all played really well with the guys from Rush, because when they started coming out with their, you know, they started as like a heavy rock band and they transcended into uh, progressive rock, which was mm-hmm. pretty amazing.
0: Yeah. And so, so the, I'm, what I'm trying to understand is that you, you, when you started out with Rush, you were you were an agent, right? That was that was the, uh, the the reason. I was an why... agent
1: slash tour manager.
0: Okay, agent slash tour manager, and they, then... they really
1: wanted me to to bring them to the United States and to make sure that everybody in the band was happy with them in the job they were doing, and mm-hmm. at the same time, it created a position for me, traveling with them, where the agency didn't have to pay me anymore because the band was, and okay. then I was basically working on salary directly from the band. Okay, and that's how it stayed for you many years later
0: Uh uh-huh okay so then yeah so then you moved on and and, and, yeah yeah
1: and you know i i was able to form the the road crew with people who i knew from the years of traveling Mm -hmm. and professionals and you know very loyal to the road crew keeping the same guys as much as we could and creating a very efficient machine to go on the road and tour
2: Mm mm-hmm Oh, so, and you it know. was
0: efficient, I can tell you. I mean, uh, from from <laughs> having seen the show and having seen how much time <laughs> it takes to, to set up and tear down and everything, I mean, uh, yeah, everything was really, uh, really well organized. I mean, yeah. by the time people have left the room, half the rig was down. So, <laughs> and, you know, I've been doing this for a long time, and I'm still impressed when I see that.
1: <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, it was... Uh, it was a well-oiled machine when we traveled. Uh, you know, we had a good time. It was um, at times we had a lot of stress. You know, for making the gigs on time because first ten years, two hundred cities a year—that's a lot. Wow, wow! And that's... then um, you know, we had our trials and tribulations. We had you no know, growing pains with everyone, and mm. it was a lot of fun. Don't get me wrong, but it was a lot of work. And a lot of uh you know perseverance, and then the band had uh, on top of all this, they were burdened with coming up with new material endlessly to continue doing this, yeah, and back then you know they were making an album every year almost
0: yeah yeah and and we didn't have all these all this media, all the uh uh digital stuff, and uh you know that you can download your music yeah. and listen to it any anytime you want. I mean you had to actually go see a show or go buy a record, but you want to buy a record, the band has to have time to record it. But if they're on right. the road doing shows, they, you know, it's very difficult. Well, that's what
1: they used to write there. They, that, that's what created this jam session on stage.
2: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: during their sound checks every day, they would just have to create stuff. To they were constantly writing. They were writing on them while they were on tour playing. <laughs> wow yeah which is pretty yeah. amazing when you think about it, it. And, it's
0: yeah. actually what amazes me is that bands like uh Rolling Stones and Aerosmith and even rush i mean the guys are still around and they're still healthy that's i I'm amazed at that, yeah <laughs> you know knowing I know. what they knowing what they had to go through at the time i mean it's it's crazy i mean i i probably there was be a lot dead. Of a, yeah there
1: was a lot of abuse going on at the time too oh
0: you know? yeah that too that that's another yeah. thing yeah there's yeah. a lot
1: of extracurricular things happening well, that you know you really had to be strong and you know know how to deal with and yeah that's that
0: young and innocent also i guess not knowing what, was what that? you were young and innocent not knowing oh, exactly yeah, what sure. you were getting into
1: <laughs> i think it was a little bit naivety too that's yeah right.
0: and and by the way i mean when you're doing this when uh, when you're 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 living you're kind of living the dream that everybody else wants to do and at a certain point you're conscious of that you know you understand that it's a privilege to be able to do that job, even though it's very, very hard, a lot harder than most people would imagine.
1: And, and you're taking it for granted sometimes, too, even though mm. you know your privilege, it becomes a normal way of life for you. So you sort of get, you know what it's like? It's like when you first get your driver's license when you're a teenager
2: mm-hmm.
1: yeah. and you're so excited, like you can't wait to actually get behind the wheel by yourself and have your own freedom. Uh-huh. Well, that's what it was like being on a tour. Wow. But after you've done it for a while, just like in a car, that feeling goes away and it becomes normal.
0: Yeah, it's just and your it's everyday no life. Longer,
1: yeah, the, you know, it's no longer exciting. What I kept it exciting for me was doing the lighting every night.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know that, And meeting new people and the traveling, that's what keeps it exciting.
0: Yeah, yeah It's not that's like true. you're
1: going to the same place every day.
0: Well, It's a good feeling when, you, when you're walking into this venue and, um, well, at yeah. first you discover and then after that you get used to it, right? You go back to the same venue time after time and then you get the same people that are still there and it just feels like home.
1: It does. And, you know, yeah. it's, it's great. I mean, you know, over the years, there are cities where I go to where people will shout my name out like oh, I'm living there <laughs> and because I've been there so many times, and you know, and hung out there a lot. And, you know, it kind of freaks you out. It's like, you know, here you are, like thousands of miles from your home. Yeah. And people are going, hey, Howard, how you doing? And it's just like, wow.
0: Yeah. So when you started off with uh, with Rush, then I, I figured you moved to Canada and you stayed there, right?
1: I did, because I, I loved it so much up here.
0: So you're, uh, you're in Toronto now, right? Yes. Okay. And uh, have you always lived in Toronto or have you traveled a bit?
1: Yeah. I mean, I was traveling oh. before that so much. Yeah. And I was sort of transient. And then, you know, in the late 80s, I decided, that's it. I'm going to move here. Wow. And, you know, I owned property here before that. Okay. I was an investment property. And then I decided at one point that, you know, you know, the first 10 years that I was here, I was not here. It was 200 cities I was in. Oh, yeah,
0: yeah, you were always on the road, yeah.
1: Yeah, so once I started, you know, opening up business in Canada, I decided I'd get legal documentation and Mm -hmm. move up here and uh, stay because I really enjoyed it.
0: Um, So, after that uh obviously you're still active i mean i've seen uh i've seen some some of the stuff that you're doing now i know you're doing some uh work with lasers and you've been working with other bands and all that so so what how did that transition happen or was it did you start doing other projects while you were still working with uh rush or how did that happen
1: exactly while i was working with rush i became um, partners in different companies that specialized in lasers because that was one of the things that I was very interested in, mm-hmm. <clears throat> I was interested in bringing things into Canada that people didn't have readily available, I mean, like they have in the United States.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, powerful lasers and full-color systems and, you know, different types of uh, lighting fixtures, but it really concentrated on lasers because it was in its infancy here in Canada. Yeah. I had traveled with Blue Oyster Cult uh, with a, a gentleman named Dr. David Alfonte who was a their laserist and I was watching him every day <clears throat> and he was showing me things and then over time I became partners in a company here mm-hmm. called LaserLight. Okay. And then uh over the you know, ins and outs and discrepancies and getting to know people and having bad experiences then good experiences. Mm-hmm. We started this company, <clears throat> Production Design International. hmm And my partner, Brian Bix, and I run it to this day. It's been about 25 years now.
0: Wow, okay. You
1: know, we're out there. We're doing lasers for food fighters, kid rock. We're Mm. out there with tool. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we we do other corporate shows like Hewlett Packard. I designed lighting for General Motors for the auto show here in Toronto for 14 years. Okay. And uh, I actually came up with the concept of shutting the lights off and gridding the place, which everyone... Followed suit (laughs) over the years, but we were the first ones to do it for GM. Okay, and that was in the nineteen ninety four. Yeah, and um, yeah, you know, we're constantly doing a lot of. uh, We do some EDM shows, and uh, we're staying busy. You know, endlessly working we do a lot of uh, spe- special effects we are a main light distributor for soft led drapes okay but if, you know we have you know fiber curtains we have water screens yeah. and how's you know, how's that
0: have... doing how's the, uh, the 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 led curtain thing i mean um... sort of it
1: it sort of toned itself out but people mm-hmm. still use it yeah i just did a 50th anniversary for tim hortons where they used 200 feet of it wow I mean, you know it serves a purpose if people just are just are not aware that it exists. Yeah. And some people who've seen it go, okay, we've seen it. We want we just rather go with video walls. Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. But you know
1: when you want to create dimension, you put the video walls in front of it. Mm-hmm. Then you get a, you know, a very very cool looking effect. And you know something people still use it. It just
2: Oh well, yeah, I still this, see you
1: know,
0: it. I still see, yeah, it. No, it's, see it. It's a little—it's uh, right? a little difficult to maintain sometimes because you know curtain being what it is, it you, know, you fold it, you unfold it, you stick it in cases, you bring it back out. Uh, sometimes the it's, a
1: curtain. It does. Yeah. yeah it has if it's wear, used on it a does.
0: skate show, then uh, then the ice gets on it. And,
1: you
2: know. <laughs>
1: yeah, I know. Yeah, well, it's like anything so, uh, else. Like even our lasers. Like you know, we have the new laser technologies. Pretty amazing, you know, we're using Pangolin software, Uh and we're using diode-based lasers. So, like, you know, years ago when you had a laser, and it was 8 feet long, and it was, you know, Mm -hmm. it it took 60 gallons a minute of water to cool the glass tube. Just to cool it off, yeah, yeah. That glass tube, if it ever broke from transportation, would cost you $30,000. Yeah. You know, it had mixed gas, krypton and argon gas.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: you'd have to use, like, you know, 300 amp three-phase power to run them.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's
1: crazy. And water pumps and all sorts of people hated them because there was always water everywhere when you use one of those lasers. And now, mm. they're the size of microwave ovens. They're three times more powerful.
2: Yeah.
1: And you plug them in a 15-amp outlet in the wall.
0: That's crazy. So they
1: become really amazing and user-friendly.
0: Mm. Well, it's it's crazy how how technology has allowed us to put a lot more effects a lot more powerful effects oh, without using yeah, like it. trailers and trailers of generators mm-hmm. <laughs> and that that was amazing i mean just the yeah, the, uh, the mean, highways even, you know, of feeder coming through
1: <laughs> so even the glp stuff that we were talking about i mean you know it's all, all this new led mm-hmm. components they're all very very um you know light on electricity usage which is great yeah very, i would say they're called green
0: mm-hmm. well yeah <laughs> um, as green as as we can be at this yeah, as, green as, as you this can time and age this. right
2: <laughs>
0: yeah yeah well of course uh, led really really changed our lives i mean i remember i had a uh, i had a mixer uh, back in the 70s i guess and it had led view meters and yeah, man, that was the thing. <laughs> it was a, it was amazing. And today, it's everything you can do with LEDs. I mean, you would have told me back then, "Hey, you can light up a room with an LED." I said, are you crazy?
1: <laughs> yeah, but people wouldn't believe it. You know? Yeah,
0: yeah, it's no output
1: <laughs> or a parking lot. You know, you're like that. What? It's, like, it's
0: crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're there. We're there now. Um, yeah. And and which brings me to this this amazing question because we've been talking like we're, we're back in 71 and then now now we're back today how old are you howard
1: oh i'm i'm young
0: <laughs> okay how young are you
1: how young am i <laughs> oh, 66
0: 66 really well yeah. you, you don't look it
1: well good i don't feel it and i will never feel
0: it i don't hear it <laughs>
1: no you got to keep you know you got to keep a youthful experience and uh be young at heart you'll stay young
0: wow Wow. And hang
1: on with a lot of young people, and it keeps you young, right?
0: Well, that, yeah, that helps also. And and working with developing new technologies and, and, and working with new yeah. effects I mean, all the people, time. Yeah,
1: I mean, people don't believe me when I tell them my age. I don't like telling them my age. <laughs> at the end of the day, uh, you're there. They go, I don't believe you. I said, good.
0: Well, I had to ask because it's it's important that people know that, listen, you know, this cool guy we're talking to? Well, yeah, he's... You, he might have been considered a grandfather. He's your if grandfather. He, yeah, something like, no. that. like <laughs> that. If you had worked uh, in an office all your life, maybe, you know.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's. I've been through offices all my life, but I haven't worked mm. in the office.
0: Yeah. Now
1: I'm working in an office, but I, I'm also a traveler. You know, traveling keeps you young, too.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. You know,
1: all that stuff does, you know. As long as you form, you know, good habits to do the best you can. hmm You know it's tough everybody has their low points I've had my low points I have had my high points you know no one's immune to any of that that's that's the story of life you just don't give up you keep moving forward yeah you know you create your own dreams you create your own life I mean when I was young and I was a teenager I was sitting on the sidewalk in New York City, thinking, you know, watching all these people coming out of limos in front of the hotels on Central Park South, thinking it's amazing how they could afford to do this. And, you know, what are they doing that mm-hmm. allows them to be like driven around in limousines? And over time, you find out they're all rented and paid for by other people anyway. <laughs> you're, just, you're just in a fortunate position to be in them, just mm-hmm. like I was in a fortunate position to be flown around on private jets a lot. Yeah. You know, and it spoils you because it's just an amazing way to to travel.
0: Yeah, and those, or to those get on a... Yeah, those fancy hotel rooms, those yeah. uh fancy transportation, cadillacs whatever. And it, you know, I've 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 been through that myself and it's all you 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 feel you're, you're a fake, right? You feel like okay, this is not mine. Uh I'm just like sort of benefiting because of my job. And um, and then you realize that, well, maybe three-quarters of the people who seem to own it do not, you know?
1: <laughs> I know. So. When I used to travel around with the guys from Kiss, when Russian Kiss opened up, I'd go to the venue, like earlier, to, uh, to check my lighting, and I would always wind up in the lobby, and Ace Frehley would want to come over to the venue with me, and, uh you know, in those days, every, it was a very, very popular show, so
2: yeah.
1: I'd be sitting in the back of the limo with with Ace, and we'd get to the venue, there'd be lines of people lining up around the whole building to see the show, mm-hmm. and, and Ace couldn't believe it. He would just look at me and go, it's jo- I feel just like the Stones. <laughs> he, he kept saying that, just like the Stones. Like, oh, pretty funny, man.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and today you say, "Well, you were just like the Stones." <laughs> I know. <laughs>
1: uh,
0: just so we can uh, uh, cap up on on what you're doing now. I mean, so so what is your company called again?
1: Production Design International. Okay, and we're here in Toronto, and as I say, we're we're creating shows with Lasers, mm-hmm. or the Foo Fighters, and for Tool, with Kid Rock, working with designers like Nick Schoenfeld
2: okay Dan
1: Hadley and uh Mark Jacobson jr from tool mm-hmm. and uh you know consulting, assisting, and creating amazing looks that you know kind of different from people are used to sing
0: mhm and and what's the um what's the website where we can check out your work
1: it's p d i the letter f is in frank x is in x ray dot com
0: P D I F X dot com. com. Okay.
1: Yeah, we. Well, it's also Production Design International on Facebook. Uh huh. We have a page there. There's all sorts of stuff around. Cool. You know, and uh, yeah, we're out there creating shows for everyone. You know, we also are the largest renter of um, of the RSC light locks, which I don't know if you know what those are. But no, they're no, we're going to
0: ask. What what is that?
1: Yeah, they're gyroscopes. They're sort of stabilizing equipment that moves around. I use them uh, a lot. Um, Michael Bluvelay rented them, and um, there's a lot of company. This is the company in Montreal, Moment Factory. Just used them for one of their acts that was on on tour. So you could Hmm. actually, they look like a ballast, but they're a gyroscope. They put the center of gravity where you need it. So let's say you had a moving light that's descending on one point. Uh-huh. and it's coming down, and then you want to move the light, but if you did, it would be all over the place because it would take the center of gravity and throw it off. Okay. Well, so this centers the gravity so the light can move around as it's descending. Wow. It's also for, it's also for people who are doing video projectors, and they're worried about the uh, the, the movement of air in the venues yeah. with the projectors swaying, and this will sort of make those projectors kind of rock solid and prevent that from oh. happening. I I saw
0: they made a motorcycle like that with a counterbalance (laughs) thing, and uh, you just can't knock it over. (laughs) I saw that yesterday.
1: (laughs) Well, each unit's good for 440 pounds, and if you have more than that, you stack them, right?
0: Wow. Wow. Oh, that's cool. I, I had never thought of that. I figured, yeah, moving yeah. lights, they just swing around. That's what happens when you hang them down on a 40-foot uh, sling. And yeah. uh, you got to I mean, live like, with you know, that. you know, you got to wait till it stabilizes before turning yeah. it back on. But now I, I see that, that there's uh, there's equipment for that.
1: Yeah, they were originally designed. Uh, the reason why they're called RSC Light Locks is Royal Shakespeare Company in, in London used them to stabilize... So that's what the purpose was when they first came out, and then yeah. everybody else started using them in different ways.
0: Oh, that's really cool. So I didn't know you did that, too.
1: Oh, we do everything, <laughs> you know? Uh, that's Video cool. projection on water. We do mm-hmm. everything people don't want to do. Yeah. <laughs> they don't want to own it.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess. it's uh, it's It's a little complicated technology there.
1: Yeah, you know, plus yeah. lighting, so yeah you know we get called we do a lot of uh motion pictures and television commercials uh-huh so it's very versatile operation that goes on here and uh it keeps me busy i love it yeah. and uh every day is something else to deal with
0: wow man i'm i'm so glad we had this chat i mean i've discovered a whole bunch of stuff um, well
1: that's cool and you know anything anything you need let me know and uh it was a pleasure to do this, Claude.
0: Well, me too. It was it was a real pleasure. I'm I'm very thankful, and uh, I'm deeply hoping that you will give me a call when you're in Montreal, or I'll do the same when I'm in Toronto. I'd like to visit uh, your uh, your company and and see yeah uh, for sure. You know that would be great. And see in person what's going on there.
2: Yeah,
0: so, well, I would love that. That's great. And in the meantime, of course, if you need anything from me, if you need to uh, work with uh, GLP fixtures, spotlight fixtures, uh,
1: Absolutely. Whatever, There's some great products out there. Yeah.
0: You want to try out an AVO lights board.
1: <laughs> yeah, I used to use AVO light boards for many years. You well, can talk to Steve Warren about that.
0: Well, I I, I, I believe you because, uh, yeah, before Grand MA uh, took over, uh, AVO lights board were all over the place.
1: The AVO light board that I used, I remember yeah. Without the manual in my hand. Huh. After programming a show, it asked me a question and said save or load. <laughs> Just remember that. <laughs> what would you do?
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, what would you do? And and yeah. I don't know if tell me, have you ever loaded instead of saving?
1: I have loaded a blank disk into a saved console. Wow. (laughs) Thinking that I was saving the information. Yeah. yeah. It's it's a very... Horrible experience when you do that. (laughs) That's when you think you're saving. Of course, you're going to save it. It's save or load. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to save. But what you actually did was you saved your blank disk into the console. (laughs) When you're supposed to load the information to the disk, well, that's when they had disks. You don't have to worry about any of that now. No, no. Those are the early days.
0: Yeah, yeah. When
1: you learn the hard way, which is the best way to learn sometimes.
0: Yeah, sometimes a slap in the face really, really keeps you. It
1: sends you right to the bar. (laughs)
0: That's <laughs> I remember uh, uh a couple of young techs were pulling a feeder and it was a complicated place they had to go up through a mezzanine and come back down the stairs and you know they've been working on it for an hour and they brought the yep. feeder to the stage and uh of course they brought the wrong end and <laughs> and I told them I have good news and bad news for you and they said okay what is well the bad news is you're going to have to start over because you brought me the wrong end but here's the good news I swear it will never happen to you again. Ever. <laughs> You're going to remember this one. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, it's, it's like them giving me a hot water feed in the early days to the glass tube lasers uh-huh. and cracking the tubes. <laughs> they go, oh, that was $60,000 you just cost me now.
0: Oh.
1: Oh, yeah, oh. the insurance companies hated us. They only gave us a limit of four lasers every five years.
0: Wow. <laughs> Well, of course, of course, they got to put a cap somewhere.
1: You don't have that anymore.
0: No, no, you don't have that trouble anymore.
1: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I had had never thought
0: of that. Hot water feed, yeah, okay. And nobody's checking, right? Yeah. I mean, it's just not something that you figured might happen. (laughs) Oh, wow. Well,
1: enjoy the week.
0: Well, you too. All right, Howard, thank you so much. You're uh, welcome. You have a great week, and I hope to see you soon. Okay, Claude, cool. All right, take care, man. Special thanks to AVL Media Group and Avolites, who make, in my opinion, the best lighting consoles in the world. If you would like to test drive an Avolites console, you can do so by contacting me via backstagecowboys.com. This is Claude Vien returning you to whatever you were doing before tuning in. Members of the band, wake up, wake up, and go.